about that, I uh, didn't change the slide. Today we're looking at Genesis chapters 39 and 40. Uh, This week, Pastor Mitch and I sat down and just kind of looked forward and planned out where we're headed. It looks like we're we should be able to maintain a pace of about two chapters a week. And then uh, right before Christmas, we will uh, be done with Genesis. And then we will move into the Christmas season for a couple of messages on the topic and the season of Christmas. And then we'll move into the new year and then we'll start a new study in the Gospel of Matthew. So we're looking forward to that. So in your Bibles this morning, please go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 39, if you have not already done so. And we are going to continue our look at the life of Joseph. <clears throat> so let's read through this together. It's not that long. I think uh, let's, let's read it because I think it'll help us all kind of gather ourselves around what God is doing in the life of this man, uh, Joseph. Chapter 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, an Egyptian or the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put in his hand. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. And Joseph was, a hands- was handsome in form and in appearance. Now it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, See, he has brought in to us a Hebrew to mock us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. 
So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prisoner, excuse me, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's hand because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. God, thank you this morning for your word, and please multiply to us the understanding and the things that you have for us, for your word is so clear that all of these things are written for our instruction. And so may we be open to hear, to receive, and to believe by faith all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you may remember this story as we left off last week that in chapter uh, 37, uh, Joseph's brothers who were very upset with him had decided to kill him. Then they decided to sell him as a slave and they did so. They sold him into the slave trade with a band of Ishmaelites who were headed down to Egypt with a bunch of their wares and they were taking them down to sell them in the marketplace down there, probably because they could get a much better price. And so as they were going down, they, they bought this slave and took him and sold him in the slave market. And it just so happens, as we read in verse 41, that this man uh, Potiphar, this uh, man in the house of Pharaoh, who was a very powerful man, is the one who happened to come along and to buy him. It says that he was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. And then it says in verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph. What an amazing thing, because when we consider the story of Joseph after what's just happened to him with his family and their hatred of him, and they were going to kill him, but they decided to preserve his life and make a little, little money on the side, a little profit on their brother, that as they sold him and he went uh, down to Egypt, and certainly now we understand that Joseph was a godly man. Joseph, we've already begun to see, is a very different man from the, the, the men that his brothers are. He's a very different man from the, the, the way the household had been run. As we looked at Jacob and his life, remember we saw that God was working on Jacob over the due course of time and changing his life and bringing him to the place where he was conforming to become the man that God wanted him to be. And God was moving him away from being Jacob and toward being Israel. Remember his name, Jacob means sneaky thief or supplanter. And then the Lord renamed him Israel, which means to be governed by God. And so this was the character that God was pushing him toward. But it was, uh, in a sense, too little too late because his family had already begun to take on the character of Jacob rather than the character of Israel. And so jo Joseph, it would seem, being the, the next to the youngest, in the last uh, episode of our story, we saw that Benjamin was born and Rachel had died, his mother. And so Joseph, it would seem, maybe has taken on the character of Israel, 
a man who was being governed by God, a man who was following God and walking in the footsteps of the Lord. Keep in mind in these days, there was no Bible. So they, you know, Jacob couldn't get, I mean, excuse me, Joseph couldn't get up every morning and have his devotions. Uh, He just prayed. He sought the Lord and the Spirit of God spoke to him. And so the Lord was with Joseph, we're told in verse 2. Something that we shouldn't miss. In fact, that's repeated several times. Perhaps you caught that. that. That's why I read the whole chapter, that perhaps you would catch all of the times we are told that the Lord was with Joseph. In fact, as we go through this story, a lot of bad things happen in Joseph's life, don't they? Things that he didn't do to bring upon himself. These are just, you know, if we were looking at it from a, an, a non-biblical and ungodly point of view, we would say this guy has just terrible luck, wouldn't we? All these bad things keep happening into his life, in his life. And, and yet we're told at the very outset here of his journey in Egypt that the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So Joseph was successful, but not because he was Joseph. Joseph was successful because the Lord was with him. And because the Lord was with him and because, you know, God had somehow ministered to Joseph, Joseph was becoming like Israel. He was becoming governed by God. And so Joseph, unlike his brothers, was a man of integrity, a man of honor, a man of honesty. And so we're told here in verse 3 that his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Now, if you had an employee in your household, in this case a slave, that you just bought off of the slave chopping block, and you get this kid into your employ, and all of a sudden you see, man, this, you, you can't make people like this. You can't even instruct people like this. You can't train them like this. This kid just has it. He has character. He has honesty. He has integrity. But more than that, the Lord was with him. The blessing of God was with him. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper. Now, this study, I'm just going to call it, uh, the Lord was with, Jake, was with Joseph because that's what this whole thing is about. And we're going to look at today ways that the Lord was with Joseph. And as we look at this, I want you to hear this in a context. And here's the context. You ready? The Lord is with you. And just as the Lord was with Joseph, so is the Lord with you. You see, these things are written for us. Yes, we want to understand them in the context that they happen, but we want to understand what are they saying to us this morning? So ways the Lord was with Joseph. Number one, Potiphar, his master, saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar, his master, saw that the Lord was with Joseph. One of the ways that the Lord was with Joseph is that the Lord enabled this pagan, heathen, Egyptian to see that God had his hand on this man. So Potiphar, his master, saw it. How did the master see? What was it about Joseph? What was it about his life that he saw that he could say it really is a point of testimony. I, I see the hand of God on this man. In fact, in Egyptian culture, 
much as in Canaanite culture, they had over 2,000 gods. You see, they, they were not a society that was focused on the one true God. They worshiped everything that lived and moved. They worshiped frogs. When we go through the plagues in Egypt, all of those things were gods of the Egyptians. And so how did this man who bought this slave just by happen chance off of the slave box, how did he see? What did he see? I think we'll go through some of that, but at the very least, I would say that God enabled him to see it. God opened his eyes to see that he was with the man, Joseph. So number one, Potiphar's master saw that the Lord was with Joseph. Number two, the Lord made all Joseph did to prosper in his hand. The Lord blessed the work of Joseph's hand. In fact, we're going to see this again in in other ways, but perhaps you're familiar with the old fable called the Midas touch where there was that man who everything he did you know it just turned to gold it was just you know if he picked a stock to invest in it just bore fruit a hundred times or you know he planted a crop it had a a, you know a a yield of a hundred you know whatever it was and the Lord made Joseph prosper in every way whatever Joseph did So Joseph is brought in, he's made the the head of the household, and in in that day and time, uh, everyone who had slaves had the head of a house, the person who was in charge over everything. They were the administrator, they were the one whom the master of the house entrusted everything to. And it turns out that this man so trusted Joseph, we'll find out as we go along, that he gave literally everything into his hand. Now, most managers have trust issues. It doesn't mean that you don't trust your people to do things, but you trust them, but you're constantly sort of looking over their shoulder to make sure they're doing everything the right way or or that kind of a thing. And if you have a job and you work outside the home or you've ever done that, you know that you're accountable to a boss and that boss always wants a little bit of a status update, a progress report, and they have people around looking to see what's happening. What are you doing? But the Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph, verse 4, found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. Note this word served. We're going to come back to that a little bit later in chapter 40. But number three, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight. Another way that God was with Joseph is that God gave Joseph favor in his master's sight. Number four, Joseph was made overseer of Potiphar's house. You see, this this master saw something upon the life of Joseph. This man had skills. If he organized something, it was the best way to do it. If he told somebody to do something, he told them with such wisdom that it was irrefutable. If he was solving a problem between two people in the house, he was such a skilled people person that people just, they were drawn to him. I mean, this man had the complete package. He could do no wrong. He was God's man. The the hand of God was upon him. So it was, verse 5, from the time that he had made him overseer 
of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. So you see, the Lord didn't just bless Joseph. He blessed the master because Joseph was present in his house. And see, this is, this is an incredible thing for us to understand as believers in Jesus Christ. If we call ourselves Christians and we believe in the Lord, and regardless of what, what we do, whether we have a job outside the home or not, listen, you and I are witnesses. We are lights called to shine in the midst of a crooked and a perverse generation. And we aren't just to be where we are doing what we do to make ends meet and to get a paycheck and get the benefits and all that stuff and then go home and do our own thing. You see, where we are, we are a light. And God wants to use us to bless those around us, especially those, let me just put it in modern day language, in the upward management chain of where we work. You know, we want people to look at us in our, in our corporate surroundings and say, there's something different about you. You don't lie, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't swear, and whatever you do, you do it well. You don't just do enough to get by. You do it super well. You follow it through. And that's the kind of man that Joseph was. Number five, one of the ways I see that God was with Joseph is that from this point where Joseph was made overseer, God brought great blessing to Potiphar's house. And it says there right in the passage, for Joseph's sake, for Joseph's benefit. God blessed Pharaoh so that Pharaoh, excuse me, the Potiphar, so that Potiphar would bless Joseph. It's amazing. The Lord's blessing was literally on everything, in the house, in the field, everywhere. Thus, verse 6, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread he ate. That's how much he trusted Joseph. Everything. Can you imagine? I don't even know what's in the bank. No, no idea how much money I have in the bank. Joseph takes care of that. All I know is when I sit down, there's a meal at the table, and I'm blessed. What trust? Number six, another way I see that God was with Joseph is that Potiphar had this complete trust in Joseph. And, and as I read this story, I understand this happened in a very short period of time. How many times when a new employee comes in, do you right away, just within a few weeks or even a few months, just kind of give them everything? Look, here's the master passcode. Here's the keys to the building. Here's the bank account access. Here's everything. And yet... Potiphar had such complete trust in Joseph that there was, he didn't even know what was going on. Just Joseph, go, go talk to Joseph. Joseph's handling it. And it came, verse 7, to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. So things are going great. And then this little temptation knocks on the door. Joseph, you've got everything except me. Would you like a taste of the goods? Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. He has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than me. Nor has he kept back anything from me but, but you, his wife. 
How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What, what integrity? I mean, think about this man in this culture, in this society. She was inviting him in. He could have gone in and done these things. His brothers had done it, hadn't they? Judah did it. He could have done it. He had other examples he could have followed. His father had four wives. This was the example that he, but he chose not to do those things. He said, no, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. So she didn't stop. She was relentless. Every day he's in, she's trying to break him down a little bit more, coming up behind him, rubbing his shoulders, you know, doing all these things that just come on to this guy, very young, handsome, strapping man. But number seven, here's how I see it. God was with Joseph in his integrity. See, Joseph had integrity, but God was with him in it. God was enabling him to do the right thing to make the right choices for the right reasons. And it would seem that Joseph saw the potential of the sin opportunity that lie before him. And he recognized it as he called it great wickedness. This is not something that would be pleasing to God. And Joseph understood as he said there that this sin would be against God. See, Joseph didn't just see it as a little sin that could be quietly put away and swept into the back corner. He said, no, no, it's a sin against God. And I, this immediately made me think of David, of King David when he had committed his sin with Bathsheba. And we find recorded for us in Psalm 32. Here's what David said on the backside of his repentance of his sin with Bathsheba, verse, Psalm 32, verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you, And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, this was what David did after. But Joseph had the foresight to look at it and said, I don't want to have to go to that place. I don't want to have to end up in the place where I have to confess my sin and ask God's forgiveness. Why don't I just avoid the sin and walk in integrity? That way I don't have to go later and and say, God, please forgive me. So he saw that. He saw where it would lead. But you know, again, later in Psalm 51, so in case you didn't know this, Psalm 32, Psalm 51 are the two Psalms that speak to David's life after his sin with Bathsheba. And in Psalm 51, he wrote these words, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And that's the way unconfessed sin is. It's always before us until we deal with it, before God. And then he went on to say in Psalm 51, 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. You see, that's exactly what Joseph acknowledged, isn't it? He realized up front that any sin is a sin against God first before it's a sin against others. And so he had this incredible integrity. Verse 11, but it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. Now this makes me wonder, was this just a coincidence or did Potiphar's wife kind of get tired of him resisting 
And so she sent everybody out. So it would just be the two of them in this house. And it's my personal opinion that that's what she did. She orchestrated the circumstances so that she could now come on to him this one last time, thinking that she's probably been working on him. She's been trying to break him down. That she caught him, verse 12, by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. I mean, there was no discussion this time. There was no him. Come on now. Look, we've talked about this. Haven't we? We agreed. I agreed. We're not. He didn't even say anything. He's done discussing it. He just bolted for the door. She had a hold of his coat. He let it fly off in her hand and he just ran for the hills. He got out. Number eight, God was with Joseph as he did the right thing even when it would have been easy to not do the right thing. God was with Joseph as he did the right thing. Now, this one's important because this decision to do the right thing is going to get him in a lot of trouble, isn't it? I mean, this is the time, and I've heard people say this, okay? They say, well, why bother doing the right thing? I mean, does it even matter? I mean, look, look what happened to Joseph. He still got busted and thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit. But you see, that's looking at it from human reasoning. Listen, the time to do the right thing is always right. And we always should do the right thing, even if we think it's going to have negative consequences. Why? Because it's right before God. And Joseph had this incredible integrity. There was great temptation to follow his flesh and give in, but he did not. Perhaps, I don't know this to be true, but perhaps the reason he ran was because he was tempted to succumb to that temptation. What else could explain his reaction? In all the previous days that this had happened, as we read this story, we see that he just resisted. He resisted the temptation. He said, leave me alone. We're not going to do this. This is not right in the eyes of God. This is great wickedness. This was not right in the eyes of your husband. Think about you know, hurting him. And he, he put all this trust in me. And on this one day when she came and she had, again, I believe orchestrated this situation, made it perfect. Probably burning incense, had the bed all set up. Everything was all ready to go. She probably was even wearing some sexy negligee or something to try and tempt him in that moment. I mean, she had pulled all the stops out and he ran. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, here's what it says. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, I think Joseph understood this. Obviously, this scripture wasn't written till many thousands of years later, <clears throat> but he understood this. Or perhaps he understood what Paul wrote to young Timothy. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he would be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So he's talking about living in your integrity. Then in verse 22, 2 Timothy 2, flee also youthful lusts. Flee youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 
Flee temptation, do the right thing. James chapter 4, verse 7, therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, this is, these are just a few of the New Testament passages that point to and validate uh, Joseph and what he did and why he did it. Joseph did the right thing, even though initially it did not turn out so well. And so it was, Genesis 39, 13. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us, and he came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice that, and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Now I want to point out something here in verse 14. Look at verse 14. She called out to the men of her house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. Who is she talking about? She's talking about her husband, isn't she? She's calling the other servants of the house together to say that her husband, she's blaming her husband. Think about this. Think about how devilish this is. She is blaming her husband because this man wouldn't give her what she wanted. She couldn't get what she wanted, so she laid it, the alleged sin of Joseph, on her husband and, and, and actually indicts her husband for ever having trusted this man. And she kept Joseph's garment as evidence against him. This was an evil person. And then she spoke to him, verse 17, with words like these saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us, you brought him into me, he came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Notice the accusing voice with which she spoke against Joseph. Sounds like the devil to me. She likely, in my opinion, had done this before with other servants. This would have, I think, was common practice in that day. So this probably wasn't the first time that she had done it, and she's the one who initiated it. You know, she wanted it, but this is likely the first servant who resisted her. You see, these other men probably did it because they feared her and her master, and they didn't want to lose their job. They didn't want to lose their head. So these other men probably did these things. I doubt this was the first time this had happened. But here in this situation, she comes up against a man of honor, a man of integrity. And this man, Joseph, says no to her. She was not used to that. You don't say no to Potiphar's wife. You do what she says. But in this case, there was a man of honor. So it was, verse 19, when it, his master heard the words, and you can understand, given the amount of trust he had put into Joseph, uh, which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. You see, you see this was the act she had hoped for. She was so mad, so mean, so vindictive, that this man, Joseph, dare in his integrity to deny her what she wanted, which is she wanted sexual pleasure from this man. That she took his freedom from him by manipulating her husband's emotions through lying and deceit 
but it was all because Joseph had integrity. This reminds me of Daniel. Daniel 1.8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, God had brought Daniel into the favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. Sounds like Joseph, doesn't it? God gave Daniel favor because Daniel had integrity. God gave Joseph favor because Joseph had integrity. Genesis 39, 20, then Joseph's master took him, put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. And notice verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Interesting, the same level of trust and authority that Potiphar had had and given to Joseph is happening again here under the chief of the prisoners. And it says here, it was under Joseph's authority, verse 23, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Reason number nine, I see that the Lord was with Joseph is that the Lord was with him even in prison. Even in a place that he was thrown into, which was not his fault. Remember, getting thrown into a pit back in the homeland by his brothers was not his fault. Getting sold into the slave trade was not his fault. Coming into Potiphar's house was the divine plan of God. It certainly wasn't Joseph's fault. Joseph did the right thing. He acted in integrity. And look where it got him. It got him in prison. But the Lord was with him, even in prison. The Lord gave him favor with the keeper of the prison. The keeper committed everything into Joseph's hand. Now, surely the keeper of the prison knew why Joseph was in prison. He had to know. And you would think if you have a prisoner who's thrown into prison for doing very dishonest and and cheating things and all that, and especially had the, the, the brazenness to attack, you know, Potiphar, the chief of the guard's wife, in his own house, you would think, boy, you don't trust that guy. But the keeper of the prison saw that He must have seen that there was a false charge here because he saw the integrity of Joseph. Perhaps he knew of the reputation of Joseph. Perhaps the other people, again, this is reading between the lines a bit, who were called in that day to be her witnesses, perhaps they knew that Joseph was innocent. Perhaps they had witnessed Joseph resisting her all those times. Who knows? But here we are with the keeper of the prison who's looking at Joseph saying, This is a man of character and integrity. He shouldn't even be here. But hey, while he's here, I could use the help. And this is a man of integrity. So here we go. So down in chapter 40, verse 1, it came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers and the chief butler and the chief baker. And so he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. Another 
crazy coincidence that it just so happens these two key people who are at the right hand of Pharaoh get thrown into prison because for whatever reason they offended him and he gets put right in prison beside Joseph, these two men, two very influential men in the kingdom. And here they are. Verse four, and the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them and said, hey, watch out for these two guys. These two guys serve the Pharaoh. And so they were in custody for a while. Number 10, God was with Joseph in his service. Now, mentioned earlier, I said, hold on to that, that as it says here, and he served them, verse four. And it said the same thing earlier. So God was with Joseph in his service. And the idea of serving is lowering yourself to the place of a servant. The idea of service is, I don't say to anything, no, I won't do that. You see, as a servant, you do whatever is given you to do. And if you're asked one minute to clean a toilet and and the next minute to run the security detail for the president, you do it. See, a servant is a servant. And God was with Joseph in his service because Joseph served with integrity. God was blessing him. The word serve means to minister. The word utilized the generic sense to describe various activities, including that of a domestic servant, including a ranking official. More particularly, the word is used in the context of religious service before the Lord, such as that required of the priests and the Levites. So you see, there should be an aspect to our service that's not just, I want to do a good job and I want to honor the Lord, but I want to do a good job in my service because I am serving the Lord. I am like a priest in my service, no matter what I do. You see, it's important because our work matters to God. The way we do our work, how we do it, what we do, it's all important before God. In fact, Paul wrote in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, do it with a hearty attitude. Do it before the Lord. Colossians 3.22, bond servants, a.k.a. slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, not just while they're looking, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, meaning integrity, fearing God, meaning I fear God more than I fear my boss. And whatever you do, Colossians 3.23, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. This ought to transform the way we think about our jobs or the work that we do. We do it for the Lord. How would it change companies across the country if every evangelical believing Christian had this attitude about their work. I'm not serving my boss. I'm not serving the corporation. I'm serving the Lord. God put me here. I'm his servant in this place. Servants, 1 Peter chapter 2, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh, just like Joseph was. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. Indeed, Joseph went through that. 
For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You see, Joseph didn't do anything wrong. He didn't deserve this punishment. But as he got the punishment, he kept looking to the Lord and the Lord kept blessing him. (coughs) And in some way, we don't know how, God communicated to Joseph his blessing, that his hand was upon him. As we think about this idea of being a servant, I want to draw your attention for a moment to John chapter 13. This is the passage where Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, he washed the disciples' feet. You may recall that. He arose from dinner, took off his outer garment, put a towel around his waist, got a basin of water, and began to wash the feet of his disciples. And then when he had finished and he sat down again, John 13, 12, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So in the church, in the body of Christ, this is to be our attitude of service toward one another. You see, no matter what we encounter in life, COVID, masks, a kid who throws up on the floor in front of us, We ought to be servants. Hey, man, how can I serve you? Jesus washed my feet. How can I wash your feet? I've given to you an example that you should do as I've done to you. This is Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And in Matthew 20, verse 26, Yet it shall not not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great, let him be your servant. That's exactly what Joseph did. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This was the attitude of our Lord. So Joseph was a servant. Verse, chapter 40, verse 5. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he said to Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we have each had a dream and there's no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? You see, what we're probably missing here in this story, in this narrative is a little background. And here's the background. People have dreams all the time, right? You have dreams, I have dreams. But in this culture, in this time, given the 2,000 gods plus gods that they served, Whenever one of, someone was given them a dream, a dream, they viewed it as incredibly significant. And so the thing was to find an interpreter of dreams. Now, you know, apart from the Lord, that anyone who had the gift of interpreting dreams had to be an, an agent or an emissary of the devil. So someone who could come and interpret their dreams, this was a very skilled thing. This was a highly desirable thing. And up to this point, Joseph had only had and interpreted his own dreams. He had never interpreted someone else's dreams. 
So Joseph, rather than coming in with arrogance and say, well, no problem, I know how to do this, I got this. Instead, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Number 11, God was with Joseph by giving him the ability to interpret the dreams of others. So we need to know this. We need to understand this. You know, not all dreams have meanings. Sometimes it's just because we didn't sleep well or we watched something or we ate something that we shouldn't have done before bed. But Joseph took a step of faith in asking them to tell him their dreams and then saying, God will help us with this. So verse 9, the butler's dream. The butler was actually the wine steward. He was the right-hand man of the king. He uh, tasted everything that went to the king, especially uh, his drink. It would have been easy to poison a king. This is why they had wine stewards. And so this butler, his wine steward, told his dream to Joseph and said, Behold, in my dream, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though they, it, it budded, and its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. So God gave him the ability to understand this. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, meaning restore you to your place. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand again, according to the former manner when you were his butler. But remember me when it is well with you and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. I'm helping you here. I'm giving you an interpretation from God for your dream. So Joseph made this simple and this reasonable request of his new friend, but we're going to find out it fell on deaf ears. For indeed, um, I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews, and also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. So please note with Joseph's life that although Joseph remembers how he got where he was, He knows his brothers did this thing to him, that they sold him into slavery. He knows that Potiphar's wife treated him harshly and that he's there through no fault of his own. Notice that there's no evidence in Joseph's life that he was a bitter man. Think about all these things that have happened in his life, all these things that have gone wrong. How many of us could weather such things and not become bitter. Do you understand that bitterness comes from constantly meditating upon and thinking about something that has happened to us in the past and allowing it to define the reality of our present? Bitterness comes from constantly meditating upon and thinking about something that has happened to us in the past and allowing it to define the reality of our present. I've heard someone say that bitterness can be compared to giving someone a cup of poison or taking a cup of poison and drinking it and then waiting for the other person to die. You drink that poison, but in your heart you want them to die, but you're drinking the poison. That's what bitterness is like. Joseph was not a bitter man. Joseph trusted God. He trusted that God was bigger than the hatred and the deceit of his brothers. Joseph trusted that God was bigger 
than the hatred and the deceit of Potiphar's wife. So now the baker, he had a dream. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he's like, all right, this is going to be good for me. I had a dream. And there were three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. And the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. So Joseph answered and said, hmm, <laughs> here's the, your interpretation. You're probably not going to like it. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will feast on your flesh. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all of his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants. He then restored the chief butler to his butlership again and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, just as the interpretation that Joseph had given. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Now remember, Joseph did everything the right way with honesty and integrity. He served the Lord faithfully. The Lord was with him. The Lord was blessing everything he did. Now let me remind you of this. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh which Joseph did not do, will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Joseph sowed to the Spirit. And listen to this, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And there's the problem, isn't it? As I, as I was thinking through this and just reading and praying, I was just thinking, you know, Lord, I've quit a thousand times. I've given you my resignation so many times because I've gotten a little discouraged. And yet, if we just continue to do what is right, if we continue to be faithful, if we continue to be true to the Lord, even though I do the right thing and something bad happens, I did the right thing and I got thrown into a pit. I did the right thing, I got sold into slavery. I did the right thing and Pharaoh's wife tricked me and now I'm in prison. I've done the right thing. It's easy at that point to give up and say, then why bother doing the right thing? What does it get you? But Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, says, but as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. You see, we sow in one season, but we reap in another season. Brothers and sisters, this morning, do not grow weary in doing the right thing. The Lord was with Joseph. Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord made all that Joseph did to prosper in his hand. God gave Joseph favor in Potiphar's sight. God allowed Joseph to be made overseer of Potiphar's house. God brought brought great blessing to Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. God gave Potiphar complete trust in Joseph within a very short period of time And God was with Joseph in his integrity. God was with Joseph as Joseph did the right thing, even when it would have not been easy to not do the right thing. Then the Lord was with Joseph even in prison. The Lord gave Joseph favor with the the keeper of the prison. 
He committed everything into Joseph's hand. God was with Joseph in his service as Joseph served in goodness and honor and in integrity. And God was with Joseph by giving him the ability to interpret the dreams of others. Let me say it again in case you missed the point of today's service. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with me. And no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what good or what evil, what tragedy or what blessing enters our lives, the Lord is with you. I want you to be encouraged by that. You see, God hasn't forgotten you. God has not removed his hand from you unless you've, like Samson, perhaps tested the Lord to an extreme limit and thumbed your nose at God. If you're walking down that path and there's a different message for you today. But if you're, if you're seeking the Lord, if you want to seek the Lord, if you want to walk before God in honor and integrity like Joseph, then know this, the Lord will be with you just as he was with Joseph. Now, I don't know about you, but I've had enough failures on my own because I did not walk in my integrity that I need it. I, I want to walk before, with integrity before God. And I hope that you do as well. And, I, and I'm issuing this to you today as a call. If you're in a place where you're not doing that, then let this be a call to come up higher. Let it be as it were someone reaching down and pulling you up to be reminded that just as the Lord was with Joseph, so the Lord is with you. So the Lord will be with you. Let today be a reminder of you of the hope that God offers us. And may we do the right thing. May we honor God. May we have that kind of an attitude that says, hey, it doesn't matter what other people see. It only matters what God sees, which is everything. And so I want to walk in that way before him. Amen. So Lord, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you that just as you were with Joseph, you are with us. Indeed, we have the promises of the New Testament. You said, I will be with you to the end of the age. You said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Lord, we desire your hand of blessing in our lives. In fact, as we have believed in you, God, you have given us the deposit, the down payment of your Holy Spirit. And may we not tempt or test or quench or put out the fire of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we walk in the way that you want us to walk, Lord. Even though some days it's just easier to do the wrong thing, God, help us to do the right thing. May we not grow weary in doing good. And may you encourage us today, Lord, to press into Jesus, to look to him, the author and the finisher of our faith, to get our eyes off of the world and off of the news channels and onto the cross. Because at the end of the day, what's going to matter is the gospel the truth of your word, the way you have manifest yourself in our lives. And Lord, may at the end of the day, may you look at us and say, I was with you. Did you embrace it? Did you walk in it? And may we do so. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. All right, let's stand and worship the Lord.